Shiloh Industries is a traditional supplier that pours, bends, machines, and welds metals. And yet sales have tripled in the last four years. On today's show, Ramsey Hermes, the CEO of Shiloh, talks about how the company's lightweighting experience is propelling that growth. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. We've got a very interesting show where we're going to take a look at the industry from the viewpoint of one of the major suppliers in this business. And that's because our special guest today is Ramsey Hermes, the president and chief executive officer of Shiloh Industries. And Ramsey, great to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Also joining me on the journalist panel, Jeff Gilbert from WWJ and Joe Sesney from the DetroitBureau.com. And good to have the both of you guys here, too. Ramsey, let's give the audience, for those who don't know about it, a little snapshot of what Shiloh Industries is all about. And what I want to know is you guys have grown tremendously in the last four years, from about $400 million in sales to about $1.2 billion in sale. And yet you're not into all this autonomy and software. And you're into metals and bending them and shaping them and joining them and all that. What's been the secret behind this enormous growth that you've had? I would start with when we talk about what's our purpose, we talk about how do we make and create a safer, healthier environment. So everything Shiloh's been working on is about about energy efficiency, about uh, emissions reduction, and we deliver that through lightweighting technologies. So you have a portfolio that's just built on how do you take weight out of a vehicle, but also manage the unintended consequences, be it NVH and other aspects that um, are created when you lighten a vehicle. And we've targeted technology. Um, so we are multi-material. So we, we work with magnesium, aluminum, um, alloys, steel, high-strength steels, lightweight steels, as well through many different manufacturing processes. And we've found a way to identify the market, I'd say earlier than many, with, um, I'll say our tagline is lightweighting without compromise. So we've lightweighted without compromising safety, sound, quality, and actually cost. We can lightweight and take um, cost out of a vehicle as well. So I think that's really differentiated us and um, has propelled us globally. So now operating around the world. If we looked at a car, what kind of parts and components might Shiloh be involved in? We're in, interesting about Shiloh, we're agnostic to the propulsion system. So it doesn't matter if it's an internal combustion engine or an electric vehicle or battery electric vehicle. We, we actually can take out weight out of all of them. We're in your body and weight. We're in your chassis. But we're also in propulsion in the sense of battery protection, as well as an internal combustion engine. But it still requires a lot of technology. You're just telling, you were just telling us that you added like more than 600 engineers here in Detroit just to answer some of the questions. We, we, yeah. From an employment standpoint, yes, in, in, in Michigan we have grown substantially from four years ago where we had 70 employees. So we're, we're definitely much larger here. But it is that technology play. It is um, finding solutions that we can, we can change the material, we can change the design, we can simplify the vehicle. We, when we talk about lightweighting, we talk about the effects of the supply chain. So in many cases, we've taken out so much weight out of a, a component that they need fewer trucks to ship the product. So if we can impact the supply chain from an environmental side, um, 17 out of our 23 plants are already landfill-free. And um, the balance are 98% landfill free. So when we talk about our, our impact to the environment, it is not only the products that we sell, it's how we make it. It's 100% sustainable across anything that we make. So that whole end of life of what's going on with the vehicle, we truly focus on, 
on the environment as a priority of what we do. How we deliver it is lightweighting technologies, and what we deliver is powertrain components or or a body and white or chassis components. Well, one of the most fascinating comments you made was using the terms unintended consequences because sometimes when you take light, take weight out, you add noise, you have to make sure it's safe, things like that. Is a lot of what you're doing, doing that almost like detective work, going, okay, I've done this, it's going to cause that, I have to make sure that everything works together and it works for the end customer? It is, how do you break that circle? Yes. So it is understanding when you when you let's say an electric vehicle, we've we've you don't have the engine sound. So now you hear more road noise. But you also hear high frequency pitch from some of the electric motors. So how do you manage that sound? So when you're lightening that vehicle, it is exactly that. What what could that trigger? And what we've been able to do is develop materials that actually manage both. And so on a dash panel, um, we 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 make it lighter but we also manage NVH with our shallow core technology. And what it also gives you is two or three centimeters more of space in the interior vehicle because you don't have all the dampening. But uh, one of the biggest benefits to our customer was um, the asphaltic dampening that they would apply before. That was one of the biggest line stoppages they had in their production process. So we actually increased the pace of production through light weighting. So again, it's how do you understand how the vehicle's assembled, how it's manufactured, how it's joined, joining technology is significant, mixed materials, and some of our strength and with differentiation comes from the ability to how do you address the joining of a vehicle, be it riveting, glue, adhesives, um, welding. You mentioned that you've added a lot of employees here in Michigan, a lot of engineers, but I gotta believe your real growth is coming from outside of the U.S. We have, uh, four years ago, we had zero sales outside of the U.S., um, uh, outside North America, so now roughly about 30% of our revenue. So we're significantly, we're rapidly growing in Europe. Um, so um, China, we launched, uh, we're on our third plant in China. We just had a grand opening of a plant in Nantong for transmission components, um, lightweight aluminum components. So global growth um, is uh, part of our portfolio. When you look at companies like JLR or Volvo, four years ago they weren't part of our portfolio, and we would have... Um, significant market share in JLR from the structural components, um, a magnesium structure components, were um, probably their number one supplier. When four years ago we were zero. How are you dealing with the competition for engineers here in the U.S.? Because just about every supplier we talk to is looking for the right person. It's not just engineers, it's skilled trades, it's technicians, it's tool and die manufacturers. Um, we've, we've strengthened our in, apprentice programs um, and making them uh, more robust in trying to recruit really from high school. We also have to find, um, you know, since we are a smaller supplier to many of the mega suppliers or the OEMs, we also have to create an environment where it's a fun place to work. Um, you have to, we're, we're, I'll say we're very entrepreneurial. We try not to be bureaucratic. I spent a lot of time in big major corporations um, and public side, and, and it's how do you make it fun? How do you make it engaging? It's not um, only um, what you do, it's who you do it for, how you do it. Um, with r rapid growth, a lot of opportunities for new employees uh, to do different things. We, we, our U.S. team can spend a lot of time in in Europe, we have a lot of our um, European team launching production here in the U.S. and China. We're going back and forth, so it is. We're making it fun. Works. I mean, it's work, so that's why it's called work, not play. But you do try to make it a fun place to um, to operate.
But you also have challenges now. Uh, I know um, I saw one presentation recently where the, uh, they said the materials cost has gone way up in the last, have gone up, their indexes have gone up in the last past year. And now you have also have to face the challenge of tariffs on materials. How are you dealing with some of that? And what are some of the issues that you've found, some of the unintended consequences that you're dealing with in this area? Well, actually, it's an opportunity, okay. as, as perverse as this sounds. So let's say you have a monolithic door inner. So the material between, you know, the, the, the exterior of your door and the soft material. That door inner, if it's a monolithic, we can take out through our laser welded technology and our joining technology, we can lightweight that door inner gross weight 15 20% net weight, maybe 10%. So if you're looking at an aluminum monolithic door, we can actually make it less expensive in spite of the tariffs. So what you're so saying, you can use less material. We're using, exactly, we're using less material. So we, we view this as an opportunity for VAVE, work with our, with our customers to take, out, um, to take out cost out of their um, cost and weight out of their vehicle, and if materials prices go back down, they're that much farther ahead. Their margins improve. Margins improve. So we actually view this as, while I'm all about um, free trade or balanced trade, um, we look at something and say, how do we create an opportunity? And I think that's what we have done as a, I'll say that's part of our DNA as a, as a company, is creating a, an entrepreneurial spirit of creativity, um, even though it's focused on a specific product range. Ramsey, you mentioned that you work with magnesium, and as you know, earlier this year, Ford Motor Company's pickup truck production and Mercedes-Benz was impacted, too, when a supplier company that works in magnesium had a fire. And right. I remember from my 10th grade science class when the teacher lit with a match right. a, a thin strip of magnesium, and I couldn't believe how it burned. Right. So how do you guys deal with that? How do you protect yourselves? You know, the first and foremost thing is safety. You know, from a standpoint of every meeting that starts at Shiloh, my management meetings, my um, annual or uh, my quarterly town halls, we always talk about safety. So um, it was an unfortunate incident happened um, in Eaton Rapids, and the most important thing is nobody got hurt. I mean, very, you know, I mean, which could have been significant. Um, but it's how do you maintain your equipment? How do you maintain your plants? How do you have um, a clean environment? You know, we, we paint all our equipment white. It's, it's clean. It's part of how do you attract people to work? You know, it can't look like your father's manufacturing, um, you know, company. I mean, it, it is clean, it's white, it's, it's a pleasant environment. And you manage risks. It could be an aluminum plant, it could be a mag plant, it could be a steel plant. Um, how, do you, how do you create a safe working environment? That's our focus. Mm. And, you know, that we are um, a very large, if not one of the largest magnesium um, structural component manufacturers in the world, um, something that we've grown very rapidly in over the last few years. Um, it's hard work. It's hard work every day. You can, you can never take your eye off that ball. Did Ford come to Shiloh and say, hey, help us out in this? Um, many of the su suppliers, or the, the OEM said, came to Shiloh, and we, um, we are currently launching a, a, a magnesium plant in Tennessee, and that plant is uh, being designed and built for Mer uh, Mercedes and BMW. And uh, so we were very responsive because they were also impacted. Um, great customers to work with. And uh, we're also taking care of some customers out of our European facilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd like to take this a little to a higher level because you're also vice president of OESA, the original equipment yeah, the suppliers. Vice, yeah, the vice chairman. Vice chairman. Uh, talk a little bit, get, getting back to tariffs. Obviously, in the case of your business, it's an opportunity, but with a lot of other suppliers, it, it could pose problems. How much of an issue is the uncertainty there? Not really knowing exactly how this is going to end up, not really understanding where we're going. 
in a business that requires a lot of heavy lead time? Um, Julie Freem, who's the, the president of OESA, she's been doing a great job leading um, and, and pulling the suppliers together with Ann Wilson um, out of the Washington office. They've really done a nice job um, representing the, the industry to bring that common view. They've been view. very critical of the tariffs as they've come a, a, down. And, and, and absolutely, and they should be in the sense of how do we remove that uncertainty? Mm. And uh, it is, um, it's not good from an industry to have uncertainty. And they're, they're helping to try to drive that and represent us, I think, very well on the need to, to have balance and free trade and create certainty and, and making sure that we do things in the right, in the right order. It's, it's, it's complex, and every business is impacted slightly different. It's not only the tariffs, it's NAFTA. What is the direction of, of NAFTA's going to go in our relationship with uh, Canada and Mexico from an auto industry? We all have investments in certain ways. And given enough time, or reasonable time, I think each party, be the OEM or the supplier, can manage it. But we need time to execute any transition. Would you make an investment in Mexico right now? Yes. We are. You are. Or we was continue it committed to. before the the talk? No, even even post, because um, there's still there's still you know four plus million vehicles produced. Um, it's there. There's it's, it's a good export market. Um, separate from the fact as Mexico matures as a marketplace, the growth potential within the market itself for product in um, to be bought and sold for the local customer as their market matures, is also an opportunity. No different than China was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Has OESA or will OESA take a stance on tariffs that the Trump administration is talking about putting on cars? Um, the OESA is um, very vocal, and MEMA, on, on their position and their the, views. The Motor Equipment Manufacturers yes. Association, yes. of which OESA is, is a part, part of. Yeah. Correct. Right. Correct. And they've been anti-tariff all the way around? Yes. In general, we feel that there needs to be um, there needs to be better dialogue, better conversation, and and more uniformity. I think we'd say we all believe in free and balanced trade. What about uh, the German proposal to eliminate the 25% tariff on pickup trucks? Would that be something that you would support? Our, uh, that's, OES that, that, <laughs> that is, uh, I, I would have to say that's really a conversation for our customers. I mean, when you when you look at, I think this is going to be the challenge of any time we have this conversation, as with many things, it is, it's what's that net change. Everybody talks about what's the change, not necessarily where they have or what they, what that exists. Um, and this is a difference between when somebody says you you have free trade and free being equal in both directions, or you have balanced trade. And, and balanced trade may be you have similar tariffs one way or another. So it is, it's, a, it's a fine line of, that you have to operate on. And What's your concern level? Is your concern level that this could lead to an all-out trade war, or do you feel cooler heads will prevail and this is a negotiations and we're going to end up with something that we can all live with? I would say this is a negotiation. I am, and I, I firmly believe that this is a negotiation, it's a process, and um, there's, a, there's different styles to negotiate. We all do it every day. We, we see it with our customers. Some customers negotiate one way, other customers negotiate another way, and it's, you also take advantage of where your strength and your position is today versus where it could be six months. Right now, we're a strong economy, and so therefore it gives you certain leverage that you may not have if it was a weaker economy. So I think there's, there's negotiation going on. We have a president who likes to negotiate. That's a fact. 
Ramsey, as you look out at the automotive market, there's a, a rising chorus of saying, hey, we're eight years into this expansion. And everybody was predicting that car sales would go down this year. So far, year to date, they're up a little bit. But as you look out, what do you see happening? I mean, this has always been a cyclical industry. Where do you think it's going? Well, I think we have to look at there's a few dynamics that are, are happening. Right now, we have rising interest rates. So that's going to Im impact, um, you know, pricing. You have uh, a lot of leases, cars coming off lease. So that's going to um, impact it. And you also have residual values of, of vehicles is somewhat down. So when you look at the, those things coming together, the cost of a vehicle um, to a lease or buy a new vehicle has the potential to go up. I think that's more of the risk on the pricing pressure than necessarily the general economy being a, an issue. So, you know, even if it goes down slightly, it's still, it's still a good market. If it was $16 million, it would still be a good market. So, um, you know, when I, when I look at autonomous vehicles and I look at, you know, um, some of the longer-term changes, I think they still create opportunities. I don't see them as risks. The type of car may be different. And I think that's where we get hung up on the number of units versus the transaction cost and or the mix. And so a healthy mix is something um, that we also have to stay focused to. So if it's more SUVs and trucks and CUVs, even if it's fewer with the higher transaction cost or higher content opportunities, um, that creates that creates creates value. Mm -hmm. But rising interest rates have to be a concern for you. I mean, Shiloh has made several acquisitions over the last several years. So, I mean, you have to have be concerned about. Uh, yeah. And you have a planned expansions going on. So, right, your cost of capital. I mean, how do you manage that? That clearly impacts your cost of capital and what what you have to charge and and and, and price your product at. Absolutely. Do you think that can slow the economy down as the cost of capital goes up? The the challenge we have is to balance that with productivity. So how do you, you know, a lot of where we look at is how do you drive productivity? And productivity comes in some cases from investments. And so how do you manage that? So we need to, more concerning is we've slowed down on our productivity as a, as a, as a country. As a nation. As a nation. So that's, we got to stay focused on productivity. That's continued to deliver us a competitive advantage. And I think that's where we also have to spend a lot of time. And that's where the talent comes in. You need engineers. You need, you need technicians. So that, that talent development and what we're bringing through um, from our education process and, and, and engineers or technicians. And it, it's, I, I'm not just saying exclusively out of four-year universities. It's out of the trade schools. It's out of the um, various work centers um, are, all, are all areas of opportunity. Talking about manufacturing, uh, there's a, a continuous development in 3D printing, additive manufacturing. Does that play a role in your company? Are you looking at that? I actually am extremely intrigued with the opportunities, and not just in the product, but in, in some of your processes, in some of your tooling, um, speed to market. And when we talk about how do you create disruption, just right now, I think one of the advantages that um, Shiloh has, and I think it is a competitive advantage, is the speed you can do whatever it may be. How quickly can you launch a tool? So we have some of our customers, just especially on the electric vehicle side, where their their fresh approach to um, the marketplace and designing from a blank sheet of paper. You mean some of these startups? Startups as well as some of the guys, maybe one who somebody's on the West Coast. Um, you know, they they look and say, 26 weeks for a tool. How come it can't be done in 10? 
What, what stopped? I mean, they pushed the edge. No different than Honda was in, in, in the late 80s when they were talking about zero defects. You know, us who were in the industry then, we'd like, there's no way you can operate that way. Now, as an industry, that is what we do every single day. That is how we've operated. But it is that disruption on speed. And I think additive manufacturing, flexibility of design, when we, let's say, 10 years from now, whatever it may be, when we have first mile, last mile vehicles, they would be, you know, how do you, how do you make them more unique? How do you make them more personalized? I think 3D or additive manufacturing really has a place. Not yet, but it definitely has a place. Are you looking at the components of automated vehicles? Because those add weight as well, and you want to offset that. Is that a little more difficult because you're talking about things that are so cutting edge and so technically complex? So back to unattended consequences and where we take advantage of them. Um, AV, in many cases, equal EV. Um, the, one of the single largest or the largest drain on a battery is the AV technology. It can consume almost half the battery charge. So the fastest way to address battery range extension is take weight out of the vehicle. So with, with the adoption of more of an AV technology or more electrification in the vehicle, it actually is creating the need to lightweight more. So we view that as they, they actually hand in hand. AV equals EV, which must equal greater weight reduction. But so I about, see there's an opportunity. But what about safety? I mean, I, people are probably hearing you talk about lightweight and they're probably thinking to themselves, well, how safe is a lightweight vehicle right. compared to a, to, a, to a traditional vehicle? Part of our lightweight without compromise. We don't feel that we compromise safety. If anything, we can enhance it. Um, and so it is, it is that, that view that heavy is better. Mm -hmm. Heavy is stronger. More protective. And, and that's not necessarily the case. I mean, magnesium is stronger than steel. 70% lighter than steel, it's stronger than steel. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at stiffness in your vehicle, it actually is a, a, a better solution, or mm -hmm. at least an equivalent solution. So um, we, you don't have to make that trade-off. How you, how you design your vehicle is critical, so it doesn't take away from that. But lightweighting does not mean unsafe. It actually can be safer. Ramsey, I want to change topics completely here. I'm intrigued that you sit on the board of directors of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes. I can't imagine that any supplier executive in the automotive industry has ever done anything quite like that. How did that come about? Uh, that's, it's actually, a, it's, one, it's fun. It's a great board. It's a great board to be on. Um, the way it came about was, I was uh, Shiloh was being recognized for a sustainability award in Ohio. And... Uh, the gentleman who was also receiving an award was Mayor Jackson um, of Cleveland. And Cleveland's very in, in, um, involved in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So we were talking auto, we were talking about sustainability, we were talking about music, and, you know, who's my favorite band, what I like. And, he, and, and again, like any good politician, he, he was leading me right down the path. I mean, I stepped <laughs> right into it. And uh, before you know it, he said, he's like, I have, I have a job for you to do, and I'd, I'd like you to be on the board. And uh, he connected me with the board, and, and you know, again, it's a fun board, great people, and and you really think about music and cars, though, they oh, are they go, together. They, they go hand in hand, and I mean, it, it's so it's 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 a fun board, and um, Mayor Jackson was uh, the guy who really, I'd say orchestrated my uh, my involvement. How diverse is that board? Because you think of that as being a bunch of musicians. So you add in an auto exec, I would imagine there are people from other industries that it, you wouldn't, it, it, it's, wouldn't expect as well. It, it's, a, it's a diverse board. It's, I mean, and, you know, we're, I'm also involved in the Automotive Hall of Fame. And uh, the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's about everybody who loves music 
not necessarily are you a musician in yourself, but it's the ability to help recognize who, who's made an impact, who's been disruptive, who's changed it. Because uh, um, rock and when we define rock and roll, it's not necessarily the genre only in itself, because that's starting to those musicians would basically disappear after a period of time. It's about disruption. It is about creating something new. It is about um, being recognized for a change and being a leader of that change. It's not just only about the music. What's coming with the Automotive Hall of Fame, since you have an interest in that as well? Yeah, as chairman of the board. Yeah, I'm yeah. chairman of the Automotive Hall of Fame. Um, it, is, it equally is a relevant piece of the industry history. And it's one that we are trying to even expand our relevance in it. We have, um, you know, your, your most common people who have been inducted to the home. We have uh, people who were a little obscure, but they created something unique or something different. Uh, the, the Automotive Hall of Fame, we have our induction ceremony uh, July 19th um, at MGM. We have uh, some great um, people being inducted this year, but also, uh, we try to recognize what's happening today in the future. So our Distinguished Service Award is going to uh, Steve Kiefer and the Kiefer Foundation. Of General Motors. Of General Motors, General Motors. For, their, for Steve's foundation's work on distracted driving. So we're also recognizing people of the past who've created things, but individuals who are doing things and making a difference today. And, and the Kiefer Foundation, what Steve is doing um, is on distracted driving is outstanding. And um, the hall is recognizing them for that work as well. Now, with Ford's move to uh, the old Michigan Central Depot, there's also a lot of interest in downtown Detroit. What's going to happen now with the Automotive Hall of Fame? And we need a quick answer. We're down uh, towards the end. I, we're, we're, we're in Dearborn. We've got a great uh, a museum in Dearborn. We're staying in Dearborn. I've got to believe, too, uh, that being on both boards, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Automotive Hall of Fame, is especially bringing a fresh viewpoint to the Automotive Hall of Fame. It, it is. I mean, I think how we look at it and, and how do you drive excitement is part of what we're doing. And, I, and I'm really excited about the work that the Automotive Hall is doing. Our board is a great board and diversified. It, it's fun. It's fun. Ramsey, it's been a lot of fun having you on the Thank show. Thank you for having a, me. Very interesting discussion yeah, here. Thank right? you. Ramsey Hermes from Shiloh Industries, Jeff Gilbert from WWJ, Joe Sesney from thedetroitbureau.com. Thank all of you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And as I always do, I want to thank all of you in the audience for watching.